God. You are awesome, God. You may be seated in the house of God. How many are glad we serve an awesome God today? He's not a God that's in idols. He's not a God that you have to travel and go see. How many are glad that today our God is with us? He's powerful and he can do all things. Amen? Amen. Do me a favor. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. Somebody look at their neighbor and ask them, what's your depth? What's your depth? You know, oftentimes when I go fishing, we ask each other, what depth are you fishing at? People are like, oh, man, I'm fishing off the bottom. Some people are like, man, I'm fishing off the top. Others are like, I'm fishing right in the middle. I want to ask you today, what is your depth? What is your spiritual depth with the things of God? Just a reminder that during this season, every message is different, even between services. So if you missed first service, go back and listen to the podcast, right? We have multiple services because we all can't fit in one, but don't let that be a reason not to listen to the messages on the podcast, on the app, Facebook, YouTube, etc. Now look at John chapter 7 with me. Start in John chapter 7, verse 37, and as you're getting there, I want you to think about what's happening here in the book of John with Jesus. Jesus is at the temple for a festival known as the Feast of Booze. This festival, the Feast of Booze, is about remembering when the Israelites had to live in tents during their migration from the desert to the promised land. Now, during this feast, they would have a crescendo, a grand finale at the end where they would go and gather water from one place and bring it to the temple by the altar and pour it out. When they did that, that was supposed to be a sign of Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel that we'll be getting to, 47, chapter 47, Ezekiel's promise to come to pass. Jesus is now there at that time of the water being poured from the source that they got it from, now at the temple from the altar. Look at verse 37 of John chapter 7, what is your depth? On the last and greatest day of the festival, talking about the feast of booze, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. So here's for anyone that didn't think Jesus got loud. How many Italian, Puerto Rican, anybody here can relate? Latinos, even some of my Asians, let's be honest, can be loud sometimes. Come on. Now you're all quiet when I talk about being loud. But how many know Jesus from a Middle Eastern culture knew how to get loud? All right. So in a loud voice, Jesus right here speaking says, let anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What Scriptures is he talking about? Mark it down there if you can in your New Testament. If there's not already a note there with the cross reference, he is talking about Ezekiel 47. How do we know that? Keep reading in verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Now, before we go to the Ezekiel passage, I want to build this up. Quickly turn with me now to John chapter 3, verse 3, because I want you to know why this is so important in the book of John. John's gospel wants the reader to understand the spiritual life. Somebody say the spiritual life. Thank you. And in the first service, I preached on spiritual but not kooky or sinful. So we want to be spiritual, but we don't want to be spooky, don't want to be weird. We want to be wired into heaven, and we don't want to be sinful. We want to be sanctified, okay? So don't get it twisted. Be spiritual, but don't be spooky or sinful. That's the first service message. But here in John chapter 3, verse 3, I want you to see the spiritual life and how we are given it by Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He said unto Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. 
Now, everybody hold their place there. Go to a new uh, tab, please. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we understand why Jesus talked about being born again. Hold your tab in John 3. I just want to tie this together quickly so you can see it in the reference. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? The breath of life, and the man became a living being or a living soul, as the King James says, nephesh. Now go back to John chapter 3. Why is it so important that Nicodemus is being told this as a Jewish scholar, that unless he has a new birth, being born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God? It's because this is how man was created, spiritual. But God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, this forbidden fruit, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And how many know they ate of it, but they didn't fall over physically dead, they died where? Spiritually. This is the connection point. Is everybody getting it? John's, like one person is getting it. How many are tracking with me? Okay, track with it here. Why is John recording these words of Jesus, which are unique to this gospel? John's gospel is a complement to the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is filling in the spiritual meat of Jesus' teaching to give us an, an understanding of how it all works together. There is a new covenant through the seed of David. There is redemption, sacrifice, and there is also a spiritual life. That is is John's focus. And so he's speaking to this religious person, and he says, unless you're born again, you cannot accept or rather see the kingdom of God. You will not get in. Now, John is recording the brilliant words from Nicodemus. Look at the brilliant words from the scholar here in verse 4. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. How many think that's pretty amazing he came up with that? Little half kid there, right? But uh, he was thinking only in the natural. Well, if I have to be born again, I guess I got to find my mom, ask her to let me back in, and let's see how this works. And how many know Nicodemus's mama would be a little turned off by that? Son, what you doing? This is only exit. There's no entryway here. Now, I don't know about any parents here that want to tell on their kids, but I don't mind telling on one back there, my little rambunctious two-year-old. But he always, Titus, loves to try to go back up into his mother's womb. He's shy, so whenever a guest comes over, he just turns around, finds mama, and goes between her legs like this. And I tease him, and I say, son, get out from your mother's womb. Come on. But that's what Nicodemus thought. Here I come, Mom, open up. And Jesus now corrects him. Verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. I believe the water is the washing of the Word. We're born again from the seed of the Word. And then here in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. So what is he talking about? Spirit, spiritual life. Now go back to that John 7 passage. Being filled with the Spirit. Think about this today. Jesus is wanting us to have a spiritual life, but not just any kind of spiritual life, a spiritual life that quenches all of the thirst we have within our spiritual soul. He wants to fill your soul with his spirit. Notice that. He says what he's talking about is the spirit. He had not yet sent the spirit. Now, now keep that open, but now go to John 20, the end of John's gospel. We'll tie it together and then go to Ezekiel and get filled with the spirit. How many want to get filled with the spirit? More, Lord, more Jesus, more of your presence in our lives. John chapter 20, at the end of the gospel, look at verse 21. We see that now John is going to tie it all together. He is now resurrected, Jesus is, and John wants us to know what last things Jesus wants to do before he ascends to heaven. In John chapter 20, verse 21, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is the great commission of John's gospel, okay? Now look at verse 22. And with that, he did what on them? He breathed. Somebody say breathe. Say it again. Breathe. Thank you. He breathed on them and said, let's say it together, receive the Holy Spirit. One more time. Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? Tie it together. 
The gospel starts with a spiritual need. Jesus is speaking it in John chapter 3. Hey, Nicodemus, I know you know a lot about God, but you need to be intimate with God spiritually. You are still dead in your spirit, and so you you need the Holy Spirit to make you new. That's what he teaches John. And if you have time, you can read John 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit, who is another like the Father and Son, who come and indwell us by the Holy Spirit. Amazing. The Holy Spirit is like the Father and Son, but not the Father and Son. But when He indwells us, He brings us the presence of the Father and Son. Somebody say the Blessed Trinity. This is amazing doctrine that we're understanding. But I want to make it practical in just a few moments, but we need the foundation. And then Jesus ends the gospel by breathing onto them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think they received the Holy Spirit? I believe they did. Now go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and 2, but start in Acts chapter 1, please, is Luke's culmination of Jesus' last moments with us. Acts chapter 1 in verse 4, he's speaking to the disciples, and he says to them, you heard about John's baptism, but now do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. See, there's the son talking about the father. The father promised something, whom you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. So who's the one speaking here in red? Who's that? Jesus, also known as the Son, about the Father, and then the Father gives us a gift called the Holy Spirit. Now here's the contradiction or the problems that people deal with when they try to study this. I thought John said they received the Holy Spirit at the end of his gospel, that he breathed on them. But yet here, after the resurrection, Luke is saying that Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until I go up to heaven and then send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is there a contradiction? No, there's actually a compliment. And I think we as Pentecostals give the correct answer. My friends who are Baptists need to become Bapticostals. Because going back to that passage, please, of John chapter 20, they say, you know what? This was just Jesus symbolically giving them the Holy Spirit. They didn't really receive the Holy Spirit. Put up John 20 so they can see it. Now I want you to tell me, do you see anything symbolic in this passage, okay? Go to John chapter 20, verse 22. We know how to recognize symbolism, don't we? Don't don't we? Or maybe I should help you. Okay, let me help you because I don't hear a lot of feedback. How many need some help? Say, help me, Pastor. Okay, here we go. When Jesus said, I am the door, did that mean Jesus instantly turned into a door, had a little knob, and then you could open them up and squeak the little hinges? When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, does that mean all of a sudden he shows up with a shepherd's rod and everybody just instantly turns into sheep? No, that's symbolism, isn't it? Jesus talked like that all the time. Let's see if Jesus is doing that. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Any symbolism here? Any metaphors here? Any allegories here? But you see, our non-Pentecostal friends who can also be Christians, let's be nice and kind to them, not cause divisions in the body, but we can help explain this to them. They tried to say this was symbolic of what was going to happen in the book of Acts when the day of Pentecost came after Jesus went to heaven. This is symbolic of all of that. Well, it doesn't sound symbolic doesn't read symbolic. And if it was symbolic, could you imagine what that would be like? Jesus comes with his garlic hummus breath and goes, come here, boys. Now imagine being one of the disciples, and and I don't mean to mock Jesus. I want to mock the mentality of this interpretation because imagine being one of the disciples and you're just like, Jesus, what's up with the hummus breath? I didn't receive anything. Nothing changed here. Why are you just breathing on us? But is that symbolic? Absolutely not. You know what it actually is? It's prophetic. Because in Genesis, now we know according to John who he believes Jesus is. Because in Genesis, it says God. Is it the Father? Is it the Son? The Holy Spirit? We don't know. But now it says Jesus breathed on us. So I believe John wants us to go back to Genesis and where it says God breathed on them, we're supposed to see the pre-incarnate Christ breathing on them. And the same way he breathed on them and they became a living soul in Genesis chapter 2 is the same way we're getting back what we lost and being born again by his breath in John chapter 20. 
So now go back to Acts chapter 1. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's just the introduction. We got plenty of time to get into this. Don't be in a hurry. Nothing up my sleeves, no tricks. Read the scriptures and study it as well on your own. But I'm going to bring you to what I believe is a profound understanding. What is your depth? And so here in Acts chapter 1 and 2, let me ask you, is there any discussion here about salvation? Is there anything here about the Holy Spirit making us born again? That we're going to receive the gift of salvation, redemption, sanctification. We're going to be cleansed, redeemed, born again. None of that language is here. Here's the red letters of Jesus making it easy to know when he's speaking in, in this chapter. He says that we're going to receive a gift like how the Father promised. And we can find that promise in Acts, uh, Joel chapter 2, rather. And we see that it's going to be a baptism, a submersion of the Holy Spirit, like we were baptized in water, as John baptized in water. Let's go down now to verse 7. Pretty much all the red letters of Jesus here in the first chapter of Acts. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Come on, somebody say power. Power. Come on, you will receive what? Power, thank you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Does it say you will be born again when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Does it say you'll be saved when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Do you now understand why we believe that there is a birth of the Holy Spirit and there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is John emphasizing to us? A birth of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming inside, making us new. It started with the breath coming on to the disciples. Now all those who believe in Jesus are given a new spirit. We are spiritually born again, receiving back what we lost in Adam and Eve. But is that it? Is that all there is for us, to be born of the Spirit? It's amazing that we receive that, but is that all Jesus taught we were to receive from the Spirit? No, we were also to be baptized in the Spirit. submersed in the Spirit, filled with the power of the Spirit. Now, brother, just so they can see, this is an accurate translation with red letters of Jesus. Let's scroll down and see if there's any more red letters of Jesus going all the way down to chapter 2. No more. So once again, and you can stop at chapter 2, verse 1, please. Any salvific messages coming forth? No. See, John taught us the salvation of the Spirit. And John completes his gospel just how he started it. It's about being born again, Nicodemus. And here at the end, they get born again. But what is Acts doing? Acts is showing us the acts of the apostles, the acts of the early church. And they did those acts based on the power of the Holy Spirit. Something that came subsequent after being born again. That's when the disciples received the Holy Spirit power because otherwise they should have interrupted Jesus In Acts chapter 1, when he said, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes, they should have said, "Ah, hold up here, Jesus. You already breathed on us. Remember, we already got it. One and done. That's what my Baptist friends say. Once you've been born of the Spirit, you've been baptized of the Spirit. One and done. Thank you very much. But is is that what they said back? No, they understood. Okay, Jesus, you breathed on us for us to be born again, but now you want to empower us. That's why when the Spirit comes on them, it doesn't say they get saved, and now they understand their place in Christ, and they have a new spirit. No, look at what happens. Tongues of fire sit upon them, and they begin to speak. Verse 4, rather, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Somebody say, signs and wonders. They begin to experience signs and wonders, not salvation. They have already been saved. They're now experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is a sign and a wonder? It's a sign that makes you wonder. These things come together and make you wonder what God is doing. So this wonder of them speaking in tongues begins to happen. Now scroll down to the quotation of Joel chapter 2. These people are onlookers. They come. They're curious to what's going. Keep on going down, my brother. And Peter begins to preach to them, and now he says, this is what was spoken of by Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That sounds like a good time. That doesn't sound like church as usual, does it? Does that sound just like Father Tom feeding you like a little baby bird? You know, you go to these churches and they say, we're apostolic. We're rooted in the apostles. It doesn't sound like you're doing anything the apostles did. 
I don't remember the apostles handing out the food like we were baby birds, talking to us for a short little bit of time, and then just sending us back on our way. I heard that the apostles said the Spirit was supposed to be upon us, that we all could prophesy. To the point there would be so many that we would have to say, no more than three, no more than three, because so many here are gifted. Wow, is that what we see in most churches, not only not in the Catholic, but do we see that in Baptist churches, Presbyterian? I love them, but is this the way church is normally done? No, when was the last time you even heard somebody say, I prophesied, or I had a dream or a vision, and then he continues to say he's going to show signs and wonders. Now, my friends from other camps, they might be a little bit more understanding. Go to verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. They say, you know what, pastor, I get you. You got those Baptists. You got them. You got them. You showed them that they were born and then baptized of the Spirit. But you know what, Pastor? That was for, for, for a long, long, long time, time ago, ago, ago. This doesn't happen anymore. Anymore, anymore. Only these people, these people, these needed the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, power, power. See, talking off through the corridors of time, talking to our great ancestors, right? They'll say, Pastor, I agree with you about the born distinction to the baptized distinction of the Spirit. It does make sense. And maybe that was what God was doing. But now, in the future, in the present of our time, the future from their time, we don't need all of that Holy Ghost power. But don't you love that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it gives us the answer to that, that issue. It says right here that Peter told them, repent, be baptized in the name or the authority of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, displaying your forgiveness, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody, look at verse 39. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off, 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 2,000 years in the future, future. Are you listening? For all whom the Lord our God will call. Is there any alls that the Lord is calling today in this house? Are you in all that the Lord is calling? I'm just asking. And is anybody picking up going, here I am? I would like to receive it, Jesus. The Lord is calling this generation to be given the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, is he not? So are we picking up the phone saying, yes, Lord, I'll receive that. I want that. Now go back to that passage in John chapter 7, tying it all together with what I want to share with you today. That was the introduction, the depth of the Spirit. Because when we hear something like that, you may get a little bit intimidated. You may think to yourself, Pastor, that sounds like that's a little bit 2.0 Christianity. I'm just cool with 1.0. Pastor, that sounds like that's more of the Marines. No offense to the Army, but I'm more of an Army person. I'm not sure I want to be a Marine. And that's not how Christianity is supposed to be. There are not supposed to be different uh, levels of Christianity that we get to pick and choose from. We are all to be at the same level of Christianity, or in this example, at the same depth. Notice when Jesus makes this correlation between people coming to the temple to watch the water, to coming to him. You see, this is symbolic, is it not? They're watching the water, and he says, let anyone who's thirsty come unto me and drink. How many know somebody didn't walk over to him, grab his finger, and go... How many know they didn't do that? Okay, I'm going to come over to you and drink, Jesus. I'm going to drink out of your finger. How many know they didn't do that? Come on, people. Are you listening? Are you so sanctified you've left your sense of humor, or am I just not funny? I don't know. Are you tracking with me? I'm not necessarily trying to be funny, but I just want some reaction here. When Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come unto me and drink, did they go over to Jesus and suckle water? So it has to be symbolic. And Don't you love that when symbols are given, most of the time they're interpreted in the Bible? Like, don't you just love that right after this, John tells us the symbol and what it is. By this, he meant the Spirit. That's what he meant. If you're thirsty, come and drink. That's what he meant, the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Come on, how many of you know that John is writing the Gospel of John after the day of Pentecost? Oh, that got too deep and too quick for you guys. Okay, how many know John is not writing this at the moment that happened? How many know, like most historians, he's telling the story after it happened? And so the reason why he's inserting that in there, he's like, oh, man, I remember when Jesus told us this illustration, and we got boom shakalaka by the power of God at the time of Pentecost. Boy, did that spirit come and fill us up. Let me tell everybody now what he meant. Do you get how John is writing? 
He's filling it in after Pentecost, after all of this is happening. He goes, oh, man, I've got to write and tell people what Jesus talked about, the spiritual life. And that time he said, if anyone's thirsty, let them come unto me and drink. Let me make sure they get this. He is talking about the spirit who we believed in him received later because up until this time in the story, Jesus hadn't gone to heaven yet. But after he did go to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and gave us the gift of the Father. Can I hear an amen? for understanding the gospel. Now let's go to Ezekiel chapter 47. This is where I want to make some application to our lives. Remember Jesus said that this is in fulfillment of the scriptures. Well, what scripture talked about rivers flowing from the temple? What scripture were these people, you know, implementing in their example of taking water and dumping it on the altar? I believe it's from Ezekiel chapter 47. Are you all ready for this? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, what's your depth? Come on, what is your depth? Look at it. The man brought me to the entrance to the temple. Probably an angelic man, someone from heaven, heaven, a heavenly creature. This is what Ezekiel says. He brings me to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced the east. Right here is what they were doing in that time of Jesus, pouring out the water at that part of the temple. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. Somebody say trickling. This is your first indication of depth. How deep is water when it trickles? It's not too deep, is it? There's a creek by my house that kind of spins off from a river. And when I talk about walking through the trickling water, I'm talking about something that is even less than ankle deep. It is water just trickling over the landscape, over the rocks. It is not even enough for you really to scoop up. It is just trickling along the way. You would have to rearrange the landscape to get a bucket of it. It is just trickling. Somebody say trickling. Trickling along the landscape. Notice that's the first depth that we're told about this water. It's just trickling, not deep at all. Verse 3, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Somebody say ankle deep. See, right about here is your ankle. And can anybody see my ankle tan line? And ladies, I don't want to make you stumble. Let's be humble and holy, okay? But here is a tan line of the ankle because when I wakeboard, I wear boots that cover my ankle. But if you notice, there's a part that gets a little bit tan and a little bit light. And if it causes you to stumble, please don't look. Look away. But somebody say ankle deep. Now, what is a cubit? A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. It's a foot and a half. A foot, where we get that measurement from, is roughly about 12 inches. A cubit is longer. It is a foot and a half. So he walked 1,000 of those. He walked about 1,500 feet. And now from it being trickling, now it's just where? Come on, where is it at? Ankle deep. Don't be shy to say the word, though. Somebody say ankle deep. Ankle deep. Verse 4. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was how deep? Knee deep. And once again, if I'm offending you by showing my knees today, nobody stumble, okay? And if anybody asks you, hey, why does your pastor wear shorts when he preaches? What are you supposed to say? Because he gets hot. <laughs> That's why he wears shorts. And if anybody says, well, he's not supposed to wear it, say, well, say where in the scripture does it tell him what he's not supposed to wear, okay? All right, so you guys love me in the house of God? I will be wearing a robe later on for the graduation that's happening after this service. So you'll be able to see me in a robe and a sash, okay? So he measures off another 1,500 feet, and it's how deep? Come on, somebody say knee deep. Knee deep. He measured off another 1,000 and led me through water that was up to the, up to the waist, waist deep. How many right about here get nervous in water? Let's just be honest. Trickling water, not so much. Ankle water, not so much. Yeah, my wife better be raising her hand. Wastewater, especially in the ocean. This is where it gets a little scary. Or if you're in a river where there's a current, some people get a little scared there. Verse 5, he measured off another thousand. But now it was a river. 
that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to, come on, somebody say swim in it. Back stroke, front stroke, butterfly stroke. Come on, somebody. Little doggy paddle. Anybody doggy paddle? Not really good at swimming, but you doggy paddle. A river that no one can cross. And then he asked me, son of man, do you see this? I wish I had the time to go through all of the rest of the passage, but it would open up subjects about the end time that I don't have time to get into. But those who remember in Revelation 22, the river that flows from the throne and that brings the healing to the nations with the fruit that comes out from the side, the trees rather, or on the side of that river, this is what it goes on to describe in our eschatology. So think of it like this. We are now participating in what will be the end time river that heals the entire world. Spiritually, we're given this. Now let's go back to the top of this. And I want to ask you, what is your depth? When we talk about living the spiritual life, God has given us the opportunity to be in the spiritual water that is deep enough for us to swim in. But so many of us choose to walk where it just trickles. And then we have the audacity in the problems of our life to blame God that we don't have enough power of the Spirit. Do you notice that at each one of those distances, the depth was given according to those who wanted to go that far? If you didn't want to keep measuring, if you didn't want to keep walking, you didn't have to go into deeper water. You could stay where you felt the most comfortable. And I want to ask you today to look at your life and to ask yourself that question as I do the same. Please, I am preaching to you, uh, preaching to myself just like I'm preaching to you. What is your depth? Because I feel that so often in our lives, we get comfortable where we can still stand and still feel the, the ground beneath our feet. It's like, Lord, I want to be used by you in the power of the Spirit, but I don't want it to get to the point where it's so deep I can't feel the bottom. Lord, I don't want to have any experiences that would shake me up too much. Lord, keep me where I'm comfortable and where shore is close. And in that place, we don't grow. And many of you, let's be honest, have chosen your place of death, and you haven't moved much from there. Many of you get comfortable at that place, and yes, you're in the Spirit. You're where others are not, and that is good. Amen. There are people in this world that are not born of the Spirit nor baptized in the Spirit, and so you are experiencing things they are not. Amen to that thumbs up. But yet so many of you have gotten comfortable going, well, trickling is enough for me. Thank you very much. I don't want the kind of power that means I have to speak in public. I don't want the kind of power that will be used on the streets to go out and share my faith. I don't want the kind of power that would pray for someone in a wheelchair. I don't want the kind of power that would encounter a demon that I would have to cast out. Just keep me here where I can get my toesy woesies wet in the spirit. You don't all have to say amen. I know it's right. <laughs> I know what's happening right now. God is speaking, isn't he? Because your pastor hears from the Lord, and I don't mean this to put anybody down. But I want you to be encouraged today to come out of what is comfortable for you and to go into the deeper water. And that means today, if you're just where it's trickling, come to where it's ankle deep. Come to where you can splash around in it a little bit. And I got to go back to some of these examples with my wife and kids because this is a great way to see it today. We go to the Fox River by my house, and my wife will tell you that she and her brain will figure out, according to their age and ability, how far they can go in with daddy. And so if they're a little one, like one of my two or three-year-olds, all they can do is just stay right by the shore where it trickles. Because if they try to go into the other part where the other kids are, you know, ankle deep or knee deep, what's mama going to do? Mama's going to get scared. What's dad going to do? Let them find out the hard way, you know? <laughs> so many of my kids have testimonies of they almost drowned. But that's not true. Don't believe them. It's just me teaching them. Let's put it that way. And seriously, there was one time Hannah will tell you she was drowning, but really all she did was slip and she couldn't feel the ground because she could stand right back up. Have you ever seen those kinds of videos? Oh, I'm drowning. And then the kid stands back up. That was Hannah one time. But she'll try to convince you I was letting her drown. That is not true. Just stand up, Hannah. You're fine. But I'll tell you what. There's always one of those children, especially if you have a big family like me, there's always one of them that just does what? Just jumps right in. 
that they don't think about the trickle. What is that? I mean, who's doing that today? I'm not doing that. They don't think about the needy. They don't even think about the waste. They're going all in. How many of you grew up like that? Some of you had that personality. Just boom, I'm going. I'm going. And you see, I want you to understand this today. God will not give you more than you can handle, but he's wanting you to have the spirit of adventure. He's wanting you to be able to move from where you felt comfortable to where you've never been before. Let me give you an example of what's uncomfortable for me. You see, I'm a pretty good speaker, speaking from the position of a pastor. You guys all honor and respect me. This kind of could look easy after a while, could it not? And if I was a lame kind of pastor, I could probably do this just on, you know, a neutral, not thinking much about it. But you want to know what, for me, takes me out of here, the trickling, to ankle deep, to waist deep, to swimming, is if I stopped right now to give this young man a prophetic word. I'm uncomfortable now. You're probably a little uncomfortable. Are you okay? Not too bad? Okay. Wow. You see what just changed there? I went from trickling. I'm good up here. Let me preach some more. Turn to this scripture. Turn to this scripture. Boy, it's like a karaoke thing. We're in the same, we're in the same mode here, doing everything. But what happens? I go from where I'm comfortable trickle to down here. It's getting waist deep now. It's getting up to here. It's up to here. Let me look at you like Jesus did with the woman at the well. Let me pray for this man in the, 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 the situation he's in with the walker. You see what that just did? I'm in deep water right now because now it's different. I'm not comfortable. It's not something that comes easy to me. And you see, we all in Christianity begin to make these boundaries where we think God wants us because God would never want us to be daring. Our God is like, you know, a really super-duper organized God. Our God is not adventurous. Our God would just want us like how Nancy wants all the children to be in the trickling water. That's how God must be. Have you ever read the Bible? How many know God likes it when David charges Goliath? How many, like, how many like that Peter went to Jesus on the water and, Peter, uh, and Jesus didn't say, stop, stop, what are you doing? He's crazy. Well, come on then. How many have, let's be honest though, how many have forgotten that side of Jesus? Because Jesus is the Jesus, let's just be honest, it helped a lot of us. Jesus is the Jesus that taught us how to pay the bills. Some of us didn't know that. Some did, God bless you, you knew that by general grace, growing up maybe in a good family, but somebody, somebody here didn't know that, so Jesus taught you that. And how many know for a lot of us here, Jesus is the one that told you not to have bad habits. Jesus is the one that taught you how to get up and pray, and that's awesome. But how many here are walking on the water with Jesus because it's the same Jesus? How many are here are willing to go to a blind person and say, be healed in Jesus' name? You see, that's the same Jesus. Oftentimes, we want to put Jesus in our nice little church box and say, this is what Jesus would do if he was me in this world today. He wouldn't go walking on water, healing. He would just mind his own business, stay where the water's trickling, because out there it's scary. Now, that wouldn't be Jesus, would it? Jesus would be out here causing a ruckus, doing things that made us all feel uncomfortable. Hey, Jesus, hold on. Jesus, Jesus. Don't you know the one washing your foot or washing your feet is transgender, Jesus? Why are you close to this person that's transgender? Why are you letting them do that? Because I'm bringing redemption to them, Jesus would say. I'm changing them from the inside out. They'll be transgender no more. Come on, somebody. Hey, Jesus, don't you know that the, the safest place to preach is in a conference hall or in a stadium that we rent out, have security? Jesus, why are you going to Inglewood right out there on the block, Jesus? You're making us all nervous. Come on, somebody. You see, Jesus did not stay where the water was trickling with the Spirit. Remember the Spirit came on Jesus as our example he was already one with the Spirit before he was incarnated, but when he took on flesh, he was baptized for our example, not because he had sin, and then he was baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit when the dove came on him, not because he lacked power in his own nature, but he wanted to show us what man could do and partner with God. Jesus' life doesn't show us what God does as God. God doing things as God, that's in the book of Genesis. That's what our Jesus can do. He's there from the very beginning, creating the heavens and the earth with one spoken word. What do the gospels show us what God can do with man, the son of man? Are you guys listening? And see, today I'm so challenged by this because even as I stepped out of my 
trickling water. I feel that there are other areas of my life that I'm still doing that in. And I have to go this week and pray and say, Lord, where do you want me to take a step of faith? Can I just give you another area of how we stay in the trickling water of the Spirit? Can I give you another example? I mean, how many are in the message today? You guys listening to it? You guys tracking along with me? Thank you. There was an opportunity for me to share a a word with somebody, and I got afraid to do it. And many of you know this example, and it's one that I normally share from the past, from the past. But I just had another one happen. And it's very similar to where I'll be with somebody, and they're uh, a person either I'm witnessing to, a neighbor, someone that's not churchy. So I feel very intimidated to introduce them to the spiritual world, and God gives me a word. And instead of sharing it with them, I keep it to myself. I then conversated with them, and the word came up, and now it was too late for me to share that God had already told me about it. Because now if I said, hey, you know, you just mentioned a problem in your marriage. You know, God told me that you had a problem in your marriage. What does that sound like? That sounds like I'm a fake now, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you tell me now that I have a, you know, God told you I have a problem in my marriage. I just told you I have a problem in my marriage. And that just happened a few weeks ago, and I was sharing it with my wife, and I said, I cannot miss these opportunities anymore. See, I wonder how often you and I are in our everyday lives, and this is what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit. Hey, would you just stop for a second on the bus? Hey, I want you to talk to somebody next to you. And then what are we saying back? Satanas, get away from me. Get away from me, Satanas. I don't know this crazy person on the bus. I start talking to this crazy person, man. Who knows what's going to happen? They're going to think this about me. They're going to think that or they're going to do this or that. And then what's the Lord doing? He's tapping on our hearts. How many of you, if you're going to be honest, you've stayed where it's trickling because you've lost the ability to actually hear from the Lord? That so often what you are doing in everyday life isn't necessarily evil, but it's not being spirit-led. Because being spirit-led means we have to be patient to hear from God. We have to really take serious what we're getting in our heart instead of just brushing it aside. And then to take the courage to actually act on it. To go out there in the real world and to say, God wants me to do this for you. Or God asked me to tell you this. And we have to take the risk. But how many know life is risky already? And how many know most people already think Christians are crazy? So what do we have to lose? Honestly, think about it. What would I have to lose talking to that person about God giving me a word for them? What would I have to, oh, they just thought I was stupid? Okay, whatever. And I've noticed that sometimes they'll even lie. I remember one time I was talking to somebody on the streets, and God gave me a word for them, and they tried to pretend it wasn't true, and thankfully I got to talk to them another time, and they admitted it was true later on. But that would be just like the devil, so don't get nervous. But what, what is even in that situation the worst you could lose? Hey, you know, I feel God wanted me to tell you this about your life. Are you going through something with your family? Oh, no, everything in my family's perfect. Just, you know, just pray that everything keeps going perfect. Okay. Okay, but then let's say that's all that happened. What's the worst that happened then? They just told you something that wasn't true, and you might feel a little bit embarrassed. Okay, and then this is what I even do to honor, because I don't know whether or not that's true, and I'll even honor and say, sorry if that was wrong, but you know what? I'm just had, I just had to be obedient. I hope you can respect that, because I'm learning to hear from God. And most of the time, what do they say after that? Oh, okay, that's cool. I don't know much about that Christian stuff, but thanks for looking out for me. That's the worst that can happen. But what is the testimony out of that that can happen? Tears might start coming down their eyes. And they might say, how did you know that? Well, I was talking to God on my way here to meet you for lunch, and God wanted me to bring up your marriage. I didn't know much about your marriage. I just knew God wanted me to bring it up. Is there something now that I can pray for? You see, that changes the environment, doesn't it? You see, a lot of times Christians come across as nosy and judgmental to the world, but that's because we're not using our spiritual gifts. Not saying every time we're not going to get accused of that, but how often do we actually do it? Because most of the time it's like, hey, I look at you, you got problems, here's the word of God. But what if we went beyond the external from the fruit and went down to the root and began to expose those things where they would have to say, I don't know how you would know that. And then we could say, but God told me. Can I hear an amen for some depth in this place? Go with me to Ephesians. Well, let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. How many want to go deep with the Lord today? 
Come on, let's go deep. Let me show you where it starts. And I'm once again preaching to myself as I'm preaching to you. Once again, I'm going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. How many believe that? How many believe when we say Jesus is Lord, that means God is the Lord of us and our body will be resurrected and will forever be with Jesus forever? That's how it works. Somebody say the spirit of faith. Thank you. If the spirit of faith works that way for our resurrection, don't you think it works that way for spiritual gifts? I believe that God wants to use me for spiritual gifts. What do you think we'll get after a prayer like that? God's going to start using us. I believe, God, today you have someone that I'm supposed to pray for. If we speak it and believe it, what do you think is going to happen later on that day? God's going to send you somebody and say, that's the one I want you to pray for. And let's just pause right here because, once again, this is not an in-depth uh, session on the spiritual gifts. That's in our discipleship devotionals. Uh, please bring this up in life group with questions. We're always here to go in-depth. But I want us to get the heart of going deep today, having the depth, not necessarily of all the doctrines, but of the Spirit. Are you getting what I'm doing today? Okay, can I hear an amen? If you get what I'm doing today, I'm not trying to go into all the depth of the doctrine. I'm trying to go into the depth of the experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about praying for somebody, can you heal a cold? Like anybody right now, like just on demand, hey, pray for this person, they got a cold. Okay, can anybody here on demand pray for somebody with allergies, sniffles, you know, they're a little bit, you know, stuffed up, and just pray for them that it goes away? Okay. Now, does anybody have the power, you have the power just to do that on your own? No, I'm not talking about God. I'm saying with just yourself. No, okay, good. So no one here has the power, if I didn't clarify that, thank you, on their own to heal a cold. Why would we think that we're now responsible to help someone get out of a wheelchair? Think about it. Well, pastor, I'll pray with my coworker if they have a cold. But man, praying with somebody in a wheelchair, oh, I don't know about that, is if when you came to the person with the cold, you were contributing some power to it, and you're like, hey, I, you know, I think I got this, God. You stay up there. I don't, you know, I don't need you on this one. I'm going to deliver the healing for the cold. No. You and I don't even have power to heal a cold, let alone someone in the wheelchair. So why are we looking at any situation in sickness different? Why are we looking at a different, oh, that's in a wheelchair. Oh, that person's missing a limb or they're, or they're having, you know, limb issues. Oh, I can't pray for them. Why not? Shouldn't we pray for all? And then if somebody goes, oh, well, what if they don't get healed? Well, what if they do get healed? Why not just doubt your doubts? And you might say, well, pastor, you know, I've prayed for a lot of people and they haven't get healed. What if you pray for a lot of people and then one person get healed? Is it still worth you praying for a lot of people for one person to get healed? You see, I don't get what we have to lose here. I really don't get it. If we already believe in a God, let's just think about everything that's packed into this statement that we already believe. How many believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again? How many believe he ascended to heaven? How many believe he's coming back to resurrect our bodies, to live with him forever? And we're afraid to pray for somebody in a wheelchair? Come on. Like, we believe all of that, but we're like sketchy with trying to tell somebody we believe they can get out of a wheelchair? Come on now. Based on everything we just said, getting out of a wheelchair is actually easier. God coming to earth as man, living a perfect life, dying, dying's a pretty big deal, being buried, raising again, and then ascending to a place called heaven, and then coming back, destroying all the powers of the world. I think God can deal with a wheelchair, a limb, a blind eye, a deaf ear, with the same exact power that he did all of that other stuff with. It's no different to God, is it? If it's anything, healing and the greatest miracles we're praying for are actually smaller, aren't they? So I know we all doubt at times. We all see things not come about. It's like, Pastor, why don't you just go to the hospital and see everybody healed? Well, you know what I should do? I should pray for everybody at the hospital. You and I should have chaplains that we support that go and pray for everybody. You and I should pray for all of our sick friends and family at the hospital. In other words, the Christian church should forever pray for sick people at the hospital. We should also do it at our homes. Anytime we get sick, pray for your sick child. Pray for your sick husband. Pray for your sick neighbor. Why are we not praying? It must be because we don't believe. 
We're not speaking our prayers because we don't believe. But the Bible says that the prophets, the ones who walked into the point where they couldn't walk anymore, they went from the trickling to the ankle to the knee deep to the waist deep to they were just swimming in it until they were doing nothing but trusting God. They spoke words all the time. That might have sound crazy at that time, but God still honored them. How many know when Elijah said, God, bring down fire on these soldiers that were about ready to kill them? How many know that took a little bit of faith? Come on, somebody. Like, how many know if that doesn't work, you're going to be in trouble with those soldiers? Like, okay, God, send down the fire. They're marching towards you. Send it down, Lord. Waiting for the fire. Waiting for the fire. And then imagine them coming to arrest them. And then now he, he has to change the story. Well, I didn't want you really to get burned up. I didn't really want all this to happen. I like you guys. Come on, let's dap this off a little bit. Let's just put all that fire stuff behind us. What can I do for you guys? How many know when you're speaking to an army that's about ready to kill you and you're calling down God's fire, you better have some faith or it's going to not go good for you? Going back to the examples in the scripture, how about Daniel going into the lion's den? How many, how, how many know Daniel had to believe something good is going to happen in there or I'm going to be their breakfast or lunch, dinner? Why are we now afraid to be like Daniel? Why are we afraid to speak it? We're not even being asked right now to go walk on water. Sadly, people have tried and they've died, so don't do it, okay? All we're being asked to do when you go through the scriptures is to believe for these gifts to be with us, healing, prophecy, to be able to cast out demons, to give encouraging words of wisdom and knowledge. We need to start speaking more, don't we? Because we need to start believing more. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, as Vinny comes in closing. How many are ready to get some depth in your spiritual life? Amen. We need to walk where God is walking. Do what he's doing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at how he says it in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So we waste all these words instead of praying. And he's saying, why are you doing that? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm not saying this is the only purpose of prayer, but how many know it would be better for you to pray for someone and they hear how much you love them when they're sick and they not get healed than they never hear you pray for them? Come on, can I hear an amen from somebody on that? Think about it. Let's say right now someone you love is suffering from cancer. What do you think they would say to you? Hey, don't pray for me to be healed. Not, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Or do you think they would say, sure, come and pray for me? Why do you think they would say that? Because what would they hear in your prayer for them? Come on, think about how you would pray with somebody that has cancer right now. You would say, Father, we know that you love them and that you didn't design them to have cancer and that you want to heal their body for them to rise up and walk and enjoy longer life. Father, I pray that they're healed today, that they're comforted, they're strengthened. How many know even if you were dying of cancer, that prayer would encourage you? Because as I've said before, when my uh, aunt was dying of cancer, she was saying the whole time, I'm healed, I'm healed, keep praying for me because I, I believe I'm going to get up and walk and God's going to do something great with me. And I said, you know, she died eventually of that cancer and it sounds sad, but I always tell it like this, because she was always saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And at one point, she closed her eyes on earth, opened her eyes in heaven, and said, I'm healed. And Jesus said, yes, you are. Because everything she prayed came to pass in the next life. And that's why the Bible says that all that we pray is never forgotten. It actually becomes incense to God that we offer to him. Even the prayers we don't see come to pass in this life. Because do you know that every person we've prayed for if when they were sick, if they know Jesus, every one of those sicknesses are healed in heaven. Come on, somebody. Was that not good enough for you? Don't get excited about heaven. Come on. I may still believe in a place called heaven. Well, all those prayers, they're answered. And how many know that God is still wanting to do it on earth, though? Because isn't that the way it's supposed to be according to how he taught us to pray? He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, uh, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So we're never supposed to be afraid of speaking God's words. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you know how I think we as Christians grieve the Spirit of God? When we hear the Holy Spirit asking us to go to deeper water and we don't want to go. 
I can tell you different seasons of my life that God has asked me to go to different, uh, to different depths in the different areas of my life. And every one of them started with the still, small voice of hearing God. I'm 19 years old. I'm in Bible college. Yes, Holy Spirit, I want you to start going to, to uh, Bourbon Street. But there's no one here, Holy Spirit, that wants to go with me. I will go with you. How often should I go? Every Friday and Saturday. As you used to party, Fridays and Saturdays, now go tell people about me. That's how it started. And that's where your pastor began to learn to street preach and to be faithful. After two years of doing that, by God's grace, became a pastor, practicum leader in the Bible college, leading students out onto the streets, now been to many 10 plus 12 Mardi Gras. And at the end of my college year, do you know what they awarded me for? The student ministry award. And you know why they gave that? Because Joe, they said, was faithful to go when no one else went. He encouraged us. Where did that first come from? Holy Spirit. I wonder how many times we're grieving the Holy Spirit because He's talking to us and we're not listening. We come up with that safe route, just like I could have that day. So I want to tell you some of the bad and good in my life, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus. And I could have said that day, well, you know, Jesus would never want me to go out there by myself because that would be unsafe. And I'm not saying we do things that are unsafe, but listen, sometimes leaving for God is dangerous. I'm not saying we haphazardly do it, but if the Lord is speaking, right? Come on, somebody. And we go. But if we don't, we grieve him. And how often are we grieving the Holy Spirit like that? You know, maybe God is speaking to your heart. He's saying, I want you to join the youth ministry. Oh, but God, I'm so much older, you know, whatever. It doesn't fit into my schedule. And God says, no, I want you to do it. And then what will happen if you do? Lives will begin to be changed. Teenagers will begin to think of you as aunts and uncles and father and mother-like figures. Lives will be forever put in the right place, and they'll thank you for drawing those foundational barriers and you know, building foundations in their life. But it takes saying yes to the Lord. One yes can change everything. One yes can change how we think about our world right now. Like imagine all of the miracles that were done in the Scriptures if they would have said no instead of yes. It's time for us to say yes. So what does it say? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit from whom you were sealed. Get rid of all of these things. And then now notice where it says in verse 30 here, look at what it says. It says don't grieve him because you were sealed by him. You know that God is with you everywhere you go, taking care of you, watching out for you. And then I have a scripture reference here of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't have the, I mean, I have it on my notes, but not the scripture. Can you find it for me, my brother? And the Bible talks about coming back to that same source that we're sealed with and drinking like how Jesus said, anyone thirsty, let them come unto me and drink. We keep getting filled and filled and filled with the Holy Spirit until we're overflowing. So let's say at any point you go, Pastor, okay, I've done it right. You know, I'm doing these things, but now I'm feeling a little bit inadequate. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop, go back to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me up. Say, uh, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not chapter one. It's going to be around three or four. Thank you. You go back and you get filled. You go back and you get filled. You go back and say, Lord, this assignment that you've given me, it feels like I'm only waist deep right now and I need a lot more of this water of the Spirit. Can you lead me to the deeper waters? Can you lead me to the deeper? How many know he's going to lead you? He's going to say, okay, I get it, but this is why I put you there. You are only waist deep and what I have for you, you got to be where you can swim in my glory. But here's the thing. Will you follow me to the deeper waters? I want you to get that illustration again with my family because like you, most of you, we don't you know, go to the ocean much. And whenever we do, it looks scary. How many think the ocean is kind of scary when you look at it, especially when the big waves are coming? So when I bring my children out there, this is where I have to be safe because it does scare me a little bit. You know, Even strong swimmers can get caught in the undertow. I heard about some of those sad stories this year. So what do I do? I take my children based on their ability to swim, and I say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out to deeper waters, Lucas, but anytime you don't feel comfortable, I want you to hold on to me. We could stay here 
And it could be a fun day, but I want you to learn how to swim out there. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out there with you. And man, you want to talk about having them almost choke you. There are times I have walked my city kids out there to the ocean water, just where it's no longer standable for them, but I'm just standing, and they are holding on to me for dear life. Now, you guys might think I'm torturing my kids, but what am I doing? I'm teaching them to go to deeper water. And so I'm telling you, if you ever find yourself, let's learn it together. I'm telling myself as I'm sharing this with you, if we ever find ourselves in a situation where we are under-equipped for what we need to do and we look at where our source of power is and it feels scary, we are to at that moment to know there is a good shepherd who will never lead us or forsake us and who will bring us to the deep waters. And I just want to get a testimony from somebody here that's been in deep waters to where you can just swim and you don't think about it anymore and you have the time of your life. That's what I love about the ocean is you get out into that powerful body of water and you've done it safely and rightly and now you can't touch anymore but yet you're swimming in the waves. You're ex experiencing the adventure of the ocean. And I sense in this room today that God is wanting to wake up the middle-aged. He's wanting to wake up the lethargic youth. He is wanting to wake us up and say, come on in to the deep water. Experience an adventure. Experience the deepness of my presence and what I can do in and through you. Where your feet can no longer touch. I hope we end with oceans, dear brother. Because we got to go where our feet can no longer touch the bottom anymore. And what do we do in this? You can't do this in the ocean, and you can't do it in pools, and you certainly can't do it in the lake or in most rivers, but what can you do in God's spirit? Whenever you feel exhausted, whenever you feel like you've poured yourself out, there's not much there, you can just drink the water you're swimming in. You can drink from the water you're swimming in. It says instead, it says don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, a continual verb. Be filled and filled and continue to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many want to go on an adventure today with God? Let's give it up for Jesus. Would we stand up today in faith? Come on, altar workers and band, as we're all standing, can you raise up your hands and say, take me to new depths, Lord? As the band and altar workers are coming, would you raise up your hands and say, take me to new depths, Jesus? Take me to new depths of your spirit. I'm going to begin to pray right now as you're praying, Father.